Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8, looking at verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8. This morning we are continuing our series on the subject of Christian assurance, seeking to address the question, how can I know with certainty that I am right with God and bound for heaven? We believe that it is biblical to have such assurance and to be growing in that kind of true assurance given by the Spirit. Last week, Pastor Troy De Bruin began our series by looking at the foundation of our assurance in God's electing love for His pe- people and in Christ's redeeming, effective work on the cross. And this morning, we want to look at this crucial passage in Romans chapter 8 to learn more about assurance and the mighty work of the Spirit of God in giving us assurance. So let's hear God's Word, Romans chapter 8 at verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory." Father, we ask for your help as we seek to understand your holy and inspired word. Be with us and grant us grace in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' very well-known parable of the prodigal son, we all probably know the story of the son being in the far country, having squandered all of his inheritance, and in fact, working at this job, feeding pigs and wishing that he could eat some of the the pods he was giving to the pigs. He was so hungry. And at that point, he decides to return to his father. No longer, he says in his mind, no longer worthy to be called a son, but rather as a hired servant. We all know that when he does return, the father welcomes him as a son. We are struck with the father's great love. The themes in this parable reflect what goes on in many Christians' hearts and minds as they walk with God, as they battle with sin, as they strive to persevere in faith in Christ. There often remains and comes sometimes that sneaking suspicion or that mindset, I'm not worthy to be God's child, but hopefully I can struggle through as one of His hired servants. Adoption or sonship is a wonderful teaching of God's Word. One of the great benefits and privileges of the Christian is that we are given the status of children of God in that time and in that Roman Greco culture, the status of sonship, of adoption as legal heirs or sons of a father. And in fact, the Spirit we have received, we're told here, and who dwells in us is the Spirit 
of adoption or sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. As we look at our lives this morning and think about the biblical doctrine of assurance, and as we think about our relationship with God, I want you to ask yourself, can I call God Abba, Father? Do I cry out to God with this kind of confidence that I belong to Him and I'm a child of His? Can I and do I have such a relationship to God through faith in Jesus Christ that I am assured that I am a child of God, that by His grace I have been adopted and I am able to cry out in prayer, not as a hired servant, but as actually a child of my Father in heaven? Well, what does our text teach us about the work of the Holy Spirit in giving us a sense of assurance and confidence that we are children of God. The first thing I'd like us to see, the first evidence of our adoption or our sonship is this, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to put to death sin in our lives. The power of the Spirit to wage war against sin. Verse 14 describes it this way, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, in order to understand what this means about being led by the Spirit of God, you have to look at the verses that immediately precede it. It's not speaking about guidance in this general sense that we might think of being led by the Spirit and deciding what to do in our lives or to deciding what to do with our life when we're young, or it doesn't have to do with a mystical thing, anything like that, but it has to do with this obligation of the Spirit dwelling in us and so living in accordance with God's Word. Verse 11 has said that if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. There we're told that every Christian has the Spirit dwelling within him or her. And the Spirit dwells in us, giving life to us. And therefore, verse 12 says, because of this great truth of the indwelling Spirit, therefore, we have an obligation. In other words, we're in debt in a sense. We have an obligation. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. In other words, we're not indebted to live in the old way of sin. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. In other words, living according to the sinful nature tends to spiritual death. But if the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In other words, that is the way of life. You see what's being described here. And then comes the verse, because, explaining all this, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. We have the indwelling Spirit. He's enabling us to put sin to death in our lives more and more. And that's a proof, that's an evidence of something, that we are children of God. We are sons of God. In other words, the leading of the Spirit has to do with walking in obedience to God's Word. Not perfectly, not that there's still, not, re, not that we don't have any re, remaining sin. We know that we do. Romans 7 has just talked about that warfare that goes on. But what Paul is saying is there's this new desire, there's a new power, there's a changed relationship to sin in our lives. Think of it this way. One of the ways that the Spirit of God gives us assurance of our new status 
of children of God is that He produces in us the family likeness, the Father's likeness. We begin to exhibit the Father's character. It's like verse 29 says, uh, that we've been, that we're being conformed to the likeness of His Son. There's this likeness, this conformity to the likeness of Christ. A number of years ago, we went out to Grove City College. Our oldest daughter, Jennifer, was there at the time, and we were going to one of the choir performances out there that she was in. And I re- remember that after the choir sang, we were standing out in the foyer area waiting to meet her. And this young student walks up to us. This girl walks up and says, you must be Jennifer Light's parents. And we said, well, yes, we are. Do we know you? Or Oh, she said, oh, no, you don't know me, but Jennifer and I are friends, and I just knew it was you because, Mrs. Light, you just look just like Jennifer. And we were, you know, Patty was there, oh, thank you, you know, this is great. <laughs> it was the family likeness, and she was so confident that this was Jennifer's mom that she just strode right up to us and said hello, and she was right. So, one of the important evidences of the Holy Spirit and His dwelling in us and our union with Christ is the family likeness. Now, we don't want to confuse this. We're not talking about being saved by good works. We know that's only and always by grace, the grace of God through faith in Christ. But the Scripture is saying that if you have entered into a right relationship to God through faith in Christ, there will be this evidence of adoption, of sonship. There will be ways in which you begin to exhibit your Father's character, a love for God in your life, a desire to do God's will, whatever the cost, a love for God's people, a desire to worship the Lord, growing obedience to the Lord. And this is the result of the Spirit. This is what it means to be led by the Spirit. And it's a very key element of our assurance. Let me make uh, two points of application here before we go on to the next evidence. One point is this. It's possible that you take the doctrine of assurance too easily, and that's the nature of our society that we live in. If you ask a person on the street, do you think that you're going to heaven? Most folks will say, oh, yes, if heaven's there, I'm sure I'm going there, and I I hope so. And, you know, but the, the, the reformers and the Puritans didn't take the doctrine of assurance lightly. They took it very seriously. It wasn't as if, oh, yeah, I think I have faith. I'm sure I'm okay. No, it's possible to be too cavalier in the way we approach this whole matter of are we saved? Are we right with God? It's a very serious thing. And it may be that you're not taking this seriously enough. It may mean that that, that You need to understand and wrestle with the fact, have I really come to trust in Jesus Christ? Is there really the Father's likeness being formed in me by the Spirit? Am I led by the Spirit? Can I say that? It's not enough simply to be raised in a Christian home. It's not enough simply to be born in America and think, well, I'm a Christian by virtue of that fact. Not even understanding what being a Christian really means. And so, for some of you, it might mean that you have to get serious about your relationship to God. For others, the other application of this first point is this. When it comes to having a sense of assurance, it's possible that you're at the opposite extreme, that you're a very sensitive soul, 
that you always tend to be questioning the reality of your relationship to God and wondering if it really is true. Maybe uh, when you sin or have hardships in your life, you're thrown into darkness and doubt and wonder if you're really saved and feel that you can't even lift up your eyes to the Lord. And then I would remind you, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. You're always and only saved by His grace through faith in Him. And the family likeness may not be completely formed yet. It isn't in any of us. We know that we're looking forward to that final culmination when we will finally be done with sin, when we see Jesus face to face. But remember, it's the gracious work of the Holy Spirit to carry out this good work in you, to put this stamp of His likeness upon your heart. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ to save you, these verses are telling us that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. He is at work, and He will make you like your Father. Well, a second evidence of our adoption or our sonship is this, an inward sense of peace and security before God by which we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 15, this sense of crying out to God, Abba, Father. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The great contrast here that you see is this spirit of slavery to bondage or fear and compared, contrasted to the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship. The spirit of slavery to fear is really a description of the state of any person who does not know Jesus Christ. They are distant from God. There's this dim realization deep down in their hearts that that God is a holy judge, that He is ultimately just, and that there's a sense that you will have to give an account to God. That's that spirit of bondage to fear. It's like when you drive down the turnpike and suddenly all the cars are jamming on their brakes. It's because there's a state trooper right there. And, you know, everybody's, I know that my wife kind of laughs because whenever I go by one, I automatically put my foot on the brake before I even think about it. I don't even know how fast I'm going or anything. It's just, the, you know, intrinsic reaction that, uh-oh, there's the authority. There's the judge in a sense. I don't want, uh, I hope I'm not speeding. You know, that's the, nat- that's the spirit of slavery to fear, isn't it? Well, that's what everyone who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, that's deep down what they think. They know that God is a great judge. And this sense of God's justice and judgment may be stuffed down in the recesses of one's soul somehow. And you can blot it out with the pleasure of this world, the attractions of the world, busy yourself with your job or pursuing hobbies or whatever it might be. But every once in a while, this awesome reality of God as the holy judge comes to the fore. The natural man is ruled by this spirit of slavery to fear. In fact, that's the ultimate fear, the fear of death. Hebrews 2.15 puts it this way. It speaks of, the, of um, being freed from the, those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He says Christians are no longer held by that slavery to the fear of death. I remember when I taught science for a couple of years before seminary, and uh, the chairman of the science department at the school where I taught 
was a very learned man, had a master's degree in physics and uh, taught science very well, but no matter how learned he was, the one thing that he would tell me is that he was deathly afraid of funerals. And another teacher in the school died one of the years that I was there, was killed in a car accident. Mike would not go to that funeral. He, he just did not want to face death. Here was a scientific man, but he was controlled by this fear of slavery to bondage. In contrast to that, to the spirit of slavery to fear, the one who trusts in Jesus Christ is given this spirit of adoption or sonship. And primarily, that's a sense deep down of a new standing with God as a child of God. The spirit of adoption, an inner sense of your sins being forgiven, of knowing the peace of God, being right with God, having, in the terms of Romans chapter 5, having the love of God poured out into your heart by the Spirit, realizing that you belong to God, knowing that you stand before God and are accepted always and only by His grace that He's poured out onto you by Jesus Christ. That's the spirit of adoption. And how do we experience this, we might ask? Well, there's definitely a subjective sense, a sub- subjective aspect. It involves our feelings. It's, it's almost mysterious to know exactly how it registers on our souls, but it's also related to the objective Word of God. It's this peace and security and confidence based on God's Word of promise to all who trust in Him. This is why we can know the spirit of adoption even when we fall into sin, even in times of crisis and trial, even when God seems far off in our lives. This is where that last phrase in verse 15 is so, so important. It says, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Do you realize how radical that was for the contemporaries of Christ, for the Jews of Christ's day, who would never have dreamed of using that intimate term of expression that a young child, it's a term that a young child would speak, Abba, Daddy, sometimes you might hear it described as. It's like our youngest grandson, Mark, who's almost two. His vocabulary is very limited at this point. It's limited pretty much to ma, da, and na. Na is nana, or that's me too. We're both na right now, so I'll take that. But, you know, da, daddy, abba, it describes intimacy. And interestingly, it's not... It's not described here as a cry sitting on his daddy's lap, you know, being played with or something like that with a little toy. It's a cry that expresses intensity. It's like a little child out on the beach and a wave comes and knocks him down and starts to pull him out in the undertow. And, you know, if that happened to my grandson, he'd, ah, you know, he wouldn't need to be rescued. He'd need his dad to reach down and pull him back. The Holy Spirit enables us, you see, to truly call on God in this way as a son to a father crying out, and we're able to cry to God because we have been united to Jesus, the unique Son of God, and because of Him, we are also children of God. It's interesting that one of the times Scripture records specifically Jesus using this same phrase in Mark chapter 14 is in the garden, agonizing, Abba, Father, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but with 
what, what, what you will. It wasn't in a time of luxury and peace. It was a time of great crisis and trial. So you see, having received the spirit of adoption means that the same spirit who was present in the ministry of Jesus Christ is present in our lives as well. And by the working of the spirit of God, we do cry out, Abba, Father. We have this sense of sonship. When we fall into sin, when we are tempted, when the way ahead seems dark, when we face trials and hardships of various kinds. And so I ask you again, when you think about the subject of, ins- of assurance, can you cry out to God, Abba, Father? Is that part of your vocabulary in your relationship to God? Or is He just a distant God? Is He your Father through Jesus Christ? Do you realize your status as a child of God? And have you come to enter into that through a living and active faith in Jesus Christ on the basis of His Word? That's an evidence of our assurance. But finally, the third evidence is closely related to that, and that is the Spirit testifies or witnesses, bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Commentators wrestle about what is being described here. How does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit? And notice, it's interesting, the word actually is a word that means bears witness with, not to exactly. He testifies not to our spirit as if somehow he speaks in our ear directly, but he testifies with our spirit. The idea of the, uh, of the verb is he comes alongside and bears witness along with our spirit. The 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 analogy that's behind this is the analogy of a courtroom. And we might think of Satan, the accuser, bringing before us our sins, testifying against us, condemning us. That's what Satan loves to do. But we testify, no, we belong to Jesus Christ. We stand in Him. We have been forgiven and we stand in Christ. But it's interesting, the Old Testament tells us that every matter is to be established by two or three witnesses. So the second witness here is the Holy Spirit, as if He enters the courtroom, and He bears witness on our behalf. He bears witness along with our spirit that we are God's children. It's closely related to this cry that rises from within us, Abba, Father. In fact, I believe that the testimony of the Spirit is expressed in this actual cry, that the Spirit works in our souls to persuade us that we belong to the Father and we can cry out to Him. It's, it's the work of the Spirit. Well, how does He do, do that? I think there are primarily two ways. One is that He shines on the promises of God and makes them real to us. That's the Spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit. By making the promises of God Whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. The Holy Spirit makes that come alive to us so that it's not just something out there that we think, well, maybe that's true for somebody, but I don't know if it's true for me. I don't know where I stand with God. No, the witness of the Spirit takes it, applies it to our lives, and helps us to know, yes, that's true for me. I believe that promise applies to me. I take it, and I make it my own. It's through the work of the Spirit. The Spirit shines on the promises of God and so bears witness with our spirit 
Sometimes this is a very joyful, peaceful thing. It's like driving on a summer day through the Lancaster farmlands and there's fields of ripening wheat and corn and the sun shining on it all. Maybe you've had an experience like that in the past week. And you just lift up your heart and think, oh, it's wonderful. Sometimes Christian experience is like that. You're just filled with overflowing joy. The promises of God are so real to you. But sometimes, and I would say maybe more often than not, the the Spirit's work of bearing witness with our spirit is a different kind of shining. It's like a winter night, and it's midnight, and it's inky black outside, and you're driving in your car, and there's deep, dense fog everywhere, and there are ice spots on the road, and you're sitting in your car with your with your lights on maybe high beam, and you're on the edge of your seat trying to peer into the darkness 20 feet ahead to make sure you don't go off the road, and your lights are shining out, but they don't go far. Sometimes that's the way the Spirit bears witness with our spirits. It's in the context of war against sin and temptation and trial and hardship in your life, and you don't know how long you can go on like this. It's not like You see the road way in front of you. No, it's a battle for the next day of your life. Maybe you're just trying to press on in faith in Christ for the next hour or the next few minutes. But the Holy Spirit faithfully shines on the promises and helps us to persevere, helps us to cling to Jesus Christ in that darkness. The other way that the Holy Spirit does this is that He testifies by the effects He produces. In other words, How do we know the Spirit's at work in our lives? Well, look at the effects of the Spirit as He bears witness with our spirit. He is producing love for God, trust in Christ, peace with God, a sense of joy even in hardship. He's producing the evidences of Christ-likeness as feeble and as weak as they may be, that there is some evidence that we can say, I'm not what I once was. I know that I'm not what I ought to be yet, but I'm not what I once was because Jesus Christ has been at work and the Holy Spirit Yes, we we are painfully aware of our remaining sin, but the Holy Spirit shows us evidences of Christ-likeness as we wage war against sin. And He makes us so that we are not comfortable in the way of sin. And that's part of His gracious witness to our spirit. What an amazing work the Spirit carries out in our hearts and lives. What a privilege we enjoy to be giving the fruit of the spirit of adoption, the status, and the certainty of sonship. I don't know this morning what your relationship to your your earthly father is. Maybe it's a wonderful relationship and you cherish it and you enjoy that. Or maybe your father has died and you miss him and you remember him and uh, cherish that. Or maybe your relationship to your father is really strained or marred in some way by neglect or sin or something like that. Or maybe even you've never even known your earthly father. Maybe you know him, but he's very distant and he's never been active in your life. It's a tremendous thing to know a father's love. It's a tremendous thing to know a mother's love. The sad thing about our society is that so many fathers are now absent from the home. And we see in our society the ravaging effects of that. But the promise of Scripture and the offer of the good news is that whatever may be true about your relationship to your earthly father, you can enter into and enjoy a relationship 
with the living God as your father and you as his child. And the way to enter into that relationship is by believing in Jesus Christ, confessing your sin, your need, and putting all your trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian and the way to true biblical assurance. You might be going through all the motions of a life that is outwardly conforming to Christianity. You might be attending church. You might be uh, participating in the offering and giving up prayers to God in a sense. You might be politely listening to what I say right now. And you might think of yourself as a Christian just like you think of yourself as an American. Well, it's just a matter of fact because of the way I was born. But I ask you, what is the heart cry of your soul? Is it a state of slavery to fear before God the judge? Is that all it is? Or is it a spirit of adoption? And do you cry out, Abba, Father? Do you know the assurance of the Spirit's witness? If not, it can be yours through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the will of God that you grow strong in assurance that you belong to Jesus Christ. Remember, remember that the Spirit of God is at work in every believer to give this gracious witness. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that not only have you taken us and made us yours, but that you've given us this wonderful sense of being a child of the living God. We know we don't deserve it at all. We'll never deserve it. We can never be good enough or do enough or serve enough or sacrifice enough or pour out our lives to ever deserve that. And yet you've given it to us freely. May you more deeply impress on our hearts the reality of our status as children of God. And if anyone is here this morning who hasn't entered into that relationship, may he or she truly deal with you in prayer and see the promises of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died to save us from our sins and to enter into that through a living faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can call upon you. We thank you that you're at work in our lives. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.